Let's get into 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, This morning we're only going to look at two verses, but they are two very important verses. And the way that we interpret and the way that we understand these verses will really pretty much serve as the platform by how we, how we understand, how we take really what this Bible means to us, what the Word of God means to us. Just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, Timothy. He's writing from prison. He's writing as a way of an encouragement. He's writing to instruct Timothy. Um, he wants to get this letter out to Timothy. He realizes his death is imminent. He'll be passing away soon. He writes that in the, in the fourth chapter. And just to kind of remind you, bring you up to speed, on, in the beginning of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy what men will be like in the last days. The last days, certainly we would have to look and go, we've got to be in, if Paul thought he was in the last days, we've got to be in the last days. And, and he lays out a description for Timothy in verses 1 through 9. I'm just going to read uh, some of them real quick if you'd follow along. I'm going to start in verse 2. This is what men will look like in the last days. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Boy, we certainly see those things floating around our world today, don't we? A form of godliness, and that's really important. There's a sense of spirituality. There's a a picture of spirituality. There's there's a church in place, but it's really not the church. It's really not the church. They're, They're essentially denying the power of God. And then as we come to, or we came to verses 10 through 15, Paul commends Timothy for his walk. But he also warns Timothy that evil men who are imposters and they're deceivers, those things are going to get worse and worse, the Apostle Paul said. Throughout the chapters that we've seen in 2 Timothy, Paul's urging Timothy, look, don't get involved in the useless arguments. Don't, don't, don't waste time arguing with those things that really don't matter. Stay focused on the important things, the things that matter. And now as we come to verses 16 and 17, where we'll spend our time together this morning, Paul is going to tell Timothy the purpose and the value of the Scriptures. The purpose and the value of the Scriptures. The Bible, the Holy Scriptures. So follow along with me as I read verses 16 and 17 out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped... For every good work. You see, as I said before, the way that we take this, the way that we understand this and what it means is really going to let us see how seriously do we take this Bible. How seriously do we take this book? That word for all in the very beginning of verse 16, all, do you know what it means? It means all. It means all. It means everything. It means the totality, the collection, the whole. It means all. It means everything. All. The next word that we see is scripture. What does that word mean? You see, that's where the problem lies, because people say, well, what does Scripture mean? How do we know what's Scripture and what's not Scripture? Well, how can we tell what it is? Listen, what Scripture is Paul talking about? Here's what we have to ask ourselves. We know that at the time Paul's writing this letter, he didn't have the Holy Bible, the 66 books of the Bible that we have in front of us this morning. We know that that wasn't put together exactly the way it is. So what Scripture is he actually talking about? Previously in verse 15, Paul had referenced the Scriptures that Timothy had learned as a child. He had said this, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
These would have been the Old Testament scriptures, the Torah. This would have been the Old Testament. The New Testament letters were just in the process of being written. As a matter of fact, some of them haven't even been written yet as Paul's writing this to Timothy. Some of them are still being penned. They're, they're, they're in the future at this point. Now, notice he says all scripture, and he doesn't say those scriptures I mentioned before. Those scriptures that I'm not... It, it, previously, he said the scriptures you learned as a child. Now Paul's coming up and he's saying all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Now, I want you to take note of that because it's important. Do you think that Paul knew that the writings that he was writing, the things that were being written in the early church, did you think that he knew those would become scripture? That they would become the, the holy Bible as we know it today? Do you think that he really understood that? I think that he did. I think that he understood that. I think that he saw something there. Well, Rob, why can you say that? How, come you, how can you say that Paul understood that what he was writing was going to be scripture? It was going to be sacred. It was going to be the word of God. Because this is why in Colossians 4.16 and 1 Thessalonians 5.27, Paul commanded that his letters be read publicly. In both of those places, he commanded that they be read publicly. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul referred to his own message as the word of God. He said this, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You received the word of God, which is the things that I told you, Paul's saying. In 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul combined a quotation from the Old Testament and a quotation from Jesus in the New Testament, in Luke, and he called both of them scripture. He said this, for the scripture says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. The first part, the old, the, about the ox, that's Old Testament scripture. The labor is worthy of his wages. That's what Jesus said recorded in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 7. Paul sandwiches them together in one verse and says, the scripture says, for the scripture says. Now, Paul wasn't the only one that thought this way, because in 2 Peter, chapter 3, Peter puts Paul's writings under the title of scripture. Peter actually takes Paul's writings and he refers to them as difficult, aren't they, in Scripture. He refers to both of them that way. So when I say this, when I say Paul, when he was penning this to Timothy, he understood that there was a New Testament coming about. He didn't have the, the conclusion of it. He didn't have the complete New Testament. But he understood there was a, a new work of the Lord. A new, the mystery was being revealed. The, the dispensation of grace had moved in and Paul was writing about it. And he had clarity and he understood this. Paul and Peter both were referring to scriptures and including the words of Christ and including the words of each other in this. So when I say, I can confidently say that Paul understood, maybe he didn't know what the 66 books of the Bible were, but he did understand that what he was writing was important as he commanded it to be read publicly as we even refers to it as the word of God. And he even sandwiches some of the New Testament and the Old Testament together under the headings of scripture. You say, wait a minute, Rob. I thought we didn't get the Bible until the Council of Nicaea. I watched the History Channel, and I saw they talked about this Council of Nicaea, and that's where that we got the Bible. That's not true. I hate to tell you that, but that's not true about the, but about the Council of Nicaea. You say, wait a minute, the History Channel was wrong? No, let me tell you the truth about it. The Council of Nicaea met in 325 to discuss how Jesus Christ was related to God. So by the 4th century, in 325 AD, there was a conflict. Was Jesus fully God and fully man? Or was he the son of God as a lesser form of God? That's why the Council of Nicaea met, to determine the answer to that question. 
as a result of their meeting, they were forced to take a look at what people were calling, what the church was calling the scriptures to determine an answer. So they were able to deal with the problem. So what was the main issue that they were focusing on? Wasn't, are we going to put together a New Testament scripture? Are we going to wrap together a holy Bible, if you will? That wasn't why they met. You see, the Council of Nicaea met, again, like I said, to, t- to deal with this issue that people were denying that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh the second person of the Trinity. And in order to answer these questions, the church had to make a pronouncement about which books authoritative doctrine could be based on. So what they did is they recognized what books were already from God or what books were already authoritative. They, they, they didn't meet to discuss which books belonged to the New Testament. They only recognized that the church had from the beginning considered these books to be the word of God. Let me put it in a way that's easier for me to understand, maybe for you too. Did Sir Isaac Newton invent gravity or did he discover gravity? Well, he discovered gravity. Who wrote the Bible? God wrote the Bible, but he used mankind to do it. These, the, the early church fathers, they just discovered what God had already done. It's just, it's just a, it's a discovery. You say, Rob, why does the History Channel, why do they say that kind of stuff? Listen, there was a guy by the name of Voltaire, and he popularized this opinion. And what he said was during the Council of Nicaea, and there's no substantiation for this, but he did write about it, therefore it's, it's in history. He said what they did is they took all the books of the Bible, they placed it on the altar. And throughout the whole council, whatever books fell off, they didn't use those. Whatever books stayed on, that's what they kept in. And that was the way that he said that the Bible came about. But it's just simply not true. There's enough historical written evidence that if you really want to study it, and I'm just touching on it briefly today, go back and look at it. You'll find that a lot of times what we're being told is not really right. So when did the books of the Bible, the New Testament, when did they really become into existence? When did they really come? When did we start to see this happen? Listen, the formation of the New Testament canon began in the early part of the second century, around 125 the latest list, or the, I'm sorry, the earliest list that we have of Bible books is around 140 AD, where the church had been gathering writings. They've been saying, these are important, these are inspired. And what they've done, what they've done is they've said, these are the inspired words, these are important words. So we're going back and put them into what we call the Bible, the Word of God. Many people wonder who decided which books should be placed in the Bible. The simple answer is that God did. God wrote the books. God is the one. The, you know, the church didn't give us the New Testament. God gave us the New Testament. The church just discovered the New Testament, just like Sir Isaac Newton discovered gravity. It was just simply out there for us. We just discovered it. Sure, there were five laws of canonicity. Sure, they looked at these different things. And you say, Rob, what's with all the history lesson this morning? Because I want to say this to you. As we stand here, as we sit here this morning, this book that we hold in front of us called the Holy Bible, I believe is what Paul is ultimately referring to. He's referring to, when it says all scripture, I think he's referring to every part of this book. Every part of you say, wait a minute, Rob, don't you, you just said that 2 Timothy wasn't the last book written. I know, but God's bigger than that. Don't you believe that if God wants to communicate with us, that he's able to write a book to do so? Don't you think that he's able to write inspirational words that are going to be true in the future? Of course he is. Why wouldn't he want to communicate with us? You know, besides that, if we can just be wise let's take the bible for what it says all scripture what is all scripture the whole book right let's just make it simple let's forget all of the history all of the arguments all the debates all of it all and just say well how do you know the bible's all, all it's inspired by god well it says right there first second timothy three sixteen. all scripture is given inspired by god 
Now, it's important to note, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does the word inspiration mean? What does it mean? It it comes from two Greek words, theos and pneuma. Those are the two root words it comes from. Theos means God, pneuma means breath. It literally means it's God breathed. As I stand here and talk to you this morning, I am breathing words. So it's, it's literally saying it is God-breathed. It is the, the scriptures that we have in front of us are God-breathed. Although the men who wrote the scriptures were inspired to write, they were inspired by God, the very words they wrote down were inspired by God. The very things they wrote. It says the scriptures, the words were inspired, not the men we're talking about here. The words that they have recorded here in scripture are inspired by God. J. Vernon McGee put it this way. He said, God used these men's personalities, expressed things in their own thought patterns, yet, though, yet got through exactly what he wanted to say. He got through exactly what, what he wanted to say. Though these men, through these men, God has given us his word. He has nothing more to say to us today. We already have it. It's complete. It's called the Holy Bible from beginning to end. We don't need to add to it. As a matter of fact, there's a warning at the end of it not to add to it or take away from the book. at the end of Revelation. We have everything we need. If he was to speak out of heaven today, he wouldn't add anything to what he's already said. He's given us all that we wanted in the completion of the word of God. Now, I know there's always a critic out there, right? There's always somebody out there that's going to say something like, well, anybody can write a book and say it's inspired by God. I mean, after all, if you read a Christian book, doesn't the, doesn't the introduction always talk about how God inspired them to do something? Anybody can take a book and anybody can write that book and claim that it's inspired by God. And here's what I say. Go ahead. Write it. You want to write a new Bible? Go ahead. Write an entire new Bible that's going to deal with every problem that you have in life. Let's see how it compares to the Bible. Let's see. Do you, do you think you could really write something better, something more in-depth, something more comprehensive? First of all, we're not even dealing with a number of authors, just one person. Go ahead, give it a shot. And then compare what you've written to what we have before us that has stood the test of time. Well, wait a minute. Surely we've got to be smarter today than we were back then. I mean, the fishermen that wrote 2,000 years ago, the Galilean fishermen, we've got to have wiser people in colleges and, 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 uh, you know, we have all of this education, we have all of this technology, we should be able to do a better job. Isn't it funny we don't? Isn't it funny that we haven't? The scriptures that we hold in front of us is the same scriptures that were written back then. You say, wait a minute, Rob. No, there's been change. We're not here to argue original manuscripts versus copies. I've studied that. There is much more evidence that this is the word of God than there's not. And I would just encourage you, if if that's you and you go, I'm not sure about that, there's a book Josh McDowell wrote. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I would encourage you to get it. It's about this thick. If you see me after church, I'll let you borrow it if you really want it. I got a couple copies of it. Um, Josh McDowell, Evidence Demands a Verdict. He will give you all the evidence for the things that we're talking about. I'm just highlighting it this morning. Couldn't somebody else write a Bible? No, not like this. It would be impossible. It, it, just, it just wouldn't work. Do you know why? Do you know why it wouldn't work? Because it's not the Word of God. It wouldn't be the Word of God. We already have the Word of God. Let me just briefly describe this to you. The Bible's been tried to be stomped out and eliminated many, many times through, through many different rulers, and it's failed every single time. The scientific claims that the Bible has are still being discovered. Science doesn't prove the Bible wrong. Think about that. If they could, wouldn't it be all over the news? It would, it would be all over the place. It hasn't proven it wrong. It's, pro- it's proved uh, other opinions, but it hasn't proven it wrong. As a matter of fact, the more we learn, the more we study, the more we realize the Bible is actually right in what it says. The Bible was written not by one person. 
course it was written by God, but he didn't just use one person. It wasn't written in one year or one lifetime. It was written over a period of how many years? Anybody know? About 1,500 years. 1,500 years it was written. Had 40 different authors, three different languages, written on three different continents. Now think about that for a second. 1,500 years. Do you know your ancestors from 1,500 years ago? Could, could we have got together and, and, and made, made this up? We're gonna, listen, I'm going to write a book, then you're going to add to it, then you're going to add to it, then you're going to add to it. It would be impossible. 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents. Now here's who it was written by. Shepherds, kings, scholars, fishermen, prophets, a military general, a cupbearer, and a priest. All different walks of life. From fishermen to, Bible, to scholars. Paul would be a scholar. Paul was very well educated, very knowledgeable, very wise. But John, Peter, they're fishermen. That's what their job was. That was their life. Now here's the amazing thing. They all had different purposes for writing it, didn't they? Some were recording historical facts. Some, were, some of the prophets were, were it, was a, it was a book of judgment. Sometimes it's a book of instruction. Sometimes it's written in a poetic form like in the Psalms. It's all, they all, all these authors had different reasons for actually writing it. And here's the cool thing. Despite all of the time, despite all of the authors, despite all of this stuff, it has one common theme and never contradicts itself. One common theme and never contradicts itself. From Genesis to Revelation, we see man's repeated rebellion against his holy creator. God made a perfect world. He did. He made a perfect world. But mankind, that's you and I, are continually rejecting his authority, and we sought to decide the truth for ourselves, don't we? We, who, wants to, who wants to know what's true? I, I, I want to decide what's true. I don't get that. God does that. God's already decided what's true and what's false, and he's given it to us in his word. It's amazing. Nevertheless, God promises to extend his love throughout the book, his grace, his mercy, to unworthy people who deserve to be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. Do you catch the picture there? So you say, Rob, is the Bible really in, the inspired word of God? Is the Bible really the inspired word of God? I believe it is. And that's why it holds such a high place in my life. That's why it's the thing that I read in the mornings. That's why I like to read it as much as possible. That's why I'm here. If this wasn't the inspired word of God, I'm wasting my time. I should have stayed in Florida, especially in January. I should have never moved to Cumberland, Maryland. But I believe so, so clearly, and I know this is the inspired word of God. I'll do whatever God leads me to do because of the power that this book has. Because I've seen the power that it has in my life. You see, before we go any further, that's the question you have to answer. Is this the inspired word of God? Because if you answer yes, it is the inspired word of God, then you have to ask yourself, am I treating it the way I should be treating it? Am I going to it the way that I should be going to it? Am I reading it the way that I should be reading it? Think about it. If I answer yes to that question, I am holding God's word to all of mankind in my very presence. And we live in a place where most of us have more than one Bible. Or there's parts of the world where they just take a page of it. They just, just give me a page and I'll sneak it so I can't have it. But yeah, we have, my, I, got, I probably have a dozen Bibles in my office back there. Different translations, different covers, different this, different that. Big print, large print, small print, big Bibles, little Bibles, on-the-go Bibles. Bible I like to teach from. You know, do you see how it works? We ha is it really the Word of God? If it is, what are you doing with it? What am I doing with it? And that's one of those questions, it's like prayer. You'll always be convicted of it. I think if I was ever to say, yep, I've got it down. I, don't, I, I study enough. I read enough. I'm obedient enough. No, that's not true. Every time I pose that question to myself, I go, ah, 
I could be doing more with it. I should be more faithful. I should be reading more. I should be focusing more. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's the way that we should be in that situation. But here's when we talk about the inspired word, here's what people say. Well, maybe just part of it's inspired. Maybe just, Rob, I don't know about all of it, because, you know, there's, there's some things in that aren't really culturally relevant today. No, no, wait a second. If it was written by God, it's outside of time because God existed before time began. So it has to be culturally relevant. If you believe it was written by God, inspired by God, then it, it exists outside of time, which means it'll be here, after, God's word will be here after we're all gone. But yeah, Rob, maybe part of it is inspired. Here's the problem with that. Which part? What do you mean? Well, which part of it is inspired and which part isn't? Well, I think this part's inspired. Well, what part's not inspired? Well, that part's not inspired. Why is that part not? Who gets to decide what's inspired and what's not inspired? Last time I checked, we talked about verse 16, all means all. It doesn't say some of it's inspired. It says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. If you get to decide what part's inspired and what part's not inspired, aren't you putting yourself above the Lord himself? If God says it's all inspired and you say, well, it's not really culturally relevant today. You know, I mean, the things that are going on in our country, it just doesn't, it just, it can't be. Or are we just so coming against it that we're completely disregarding what God's word says? In my life, in my faith, this is all the word of God. It's why we do what we do. It's why I teach the way that I teach. It's why we come to the churches to hear what the Bible says. I believe the Bible that we hold in front of us is the scripture Paul is referring to. It's inspired by God. Now let's look at why we have this inspired and life-altering book. Back to verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is given by the inspiration of God, and notice it says it's profitable. Do you believe that? You see, sometimes we don't think the Bible's profitable. We think the Bible's a hindrance to our lives. We think, well, if I do what the Bible says, then my life's going to be boring. Or I do what the Bible says, then my life, well, that's just no fun. I want to do what everybody else is doing. And No, no. <laughs> Listen, the word itself is saying it's profitable. What, is the, what does that word profitable mean? It means to yield a profit. To, there's a benefit there. There's a benefit that's derived from it. It's going to be a profitable thing in your life if you use the word of God. It's profitable. It means you can understand it. It wouldn't be profitable if you couldn't understand it, would it? Because that's the complaint. Well, I don't really understand it. When you teach it, I get it. But when I read it, I don't really get it. Slow down. Read slower. Become a student. There, there's two ways to read the Bible. You can read the Bible and you can study the Bible. If you're reading the Bible, you're just reading through. That's good. That's a good thing to do also. But then take time to stop and study a section of Scripture. Take time to meditate on a section of Scripture. Take time to learn it, to memorize it. To, to, how does this apply to my life? What was going on in the culture at that time? Two websites to give you, blueletterbible.org and studylight.org. You can check both of them. They have more Bible resources than you will ever need, and they're free. Don't cost a thing. Blueletterbible.org and studylight.org. There's commentary, there's, there, there's concordances, there's thesauruses, there's everything, there's there, everything that you could possibly need. It's all right there. Lexicons, Greek lexicons, Hebrew lexicons, it's all there. You can all get it for free. But Paul says it's profitable. If I believe that it's profitable in my life, how much time am I investing in it? Would you put your money in a bank that was unprofitable? No. Well, these days you don't get much interest anyways. 
But the idea is you want to make money, right? You're going, I'm going to give you my money. Now they charge you so many fees. But if it, that, sometimes we go to the Bible that way. Do you really realize that when I open the Bible and I say, Lord, would you speak to me this morning? Would you show me something in your word? Would you teach me something out of here? Do you realize that's profitable? That's why I want to go to the scriptures in the morning. I want to profit from them. Paul tells Timothy the, prof, the Bible is profitable for four things. Now, there's many things, but Paul lists four of them here. He says, number one, it's profitable for doctrine. Profitable for doctrine. What's doctrine? It means teaching or providing instruction. The Bible teaches us about God, teaches us about ourselves, about our world, about our enemy, about our future, about the past, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us about lots of things that we need to know. It's also profitable for reproof. What's reproof? It means to expose or to convict. Reproof means over and over, to expose or convict. You say, Rob, that's the problem. I read the Bible and I get convicted. No, that's a blessing. That's not a problem. If you read the Bible and you get convicted, you need to thank God for that. Because then it's doing what it's supposed to be doing and you're receiving what you're supposed to be doing. The only question is, are you obeying it? Are you changing? You see, the problem lies when you read the Bible and say, well, I, I don't see anything there. It's, when I read the Bible and I get convicted, that's a true blessing. It's convicting for us. Not saying that, is you, it, you know, when, you, when, when someone sits down and they're new to Christianity, they start reading the Bible, it's going to be hard to understand. It's going to be hard to follow. Slow down, take small sections at a time, and think about them. Not saying that somebody that's going to sit down is going to understand the Bible the same way that somebody that's been reading it and studying it for 20 years. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is God will meet you right where you're at. He will teach you something. He will give you something. He will bring somebody alongside of you to show you something in the scriptures. You know, take a look, morning devotions, things like that. Get them sent to you on emails, wherever you are. You'll be amazed at how they impact your life, as you see. is right there on that day, exactly what you needed to hear comes in. The word of God will convict us over and over again. The word of God itself is the proof when it convicts us. This shows us what's right. It shows us what we're doing is wrong. But notice it's also profitable for correction. Correction. That means to cause something to be correct. So whereas, whereas reproof says, no, that's not right, correction says, let me show you how to fix it. Let me show you what you need to do to correct the problem. Reproof says, all right, here's the problem. Correction says, let me see if I can give you the, the instructions that you need to fix it. Reproof is exposing or convicting of the wrong, but correction is the thing that tells you how to fix it and how to do it right, if you will. The last thing we see in the Bible is profitable for instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness. To, brought, to provide, it means to provide instruction in righteousness. Righteousness is doing what God requires. Doing what God requires. The Bible is, is profitable for telling you what God requires of you and telling you how to do it. So we just ran across four words, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. If you didn't get it, let me just give it to you the easy, I, I like simple, simple, okay? Here, here's a real simple way to understand. Doctrine is what is right. Reproof is what is not right. Correction is how to make it right. Instruction is how to keep it right. Okay, real simple. Doctrine is what is right. Reproof is what is not right. Correction is how to get it right. Instruction is how to keep it right or how to stay right. Real simple. That's what Paul's saying. This scripture, the Holy Scripture, they're all inspired by God and they're profitable for these four things. Now, here's what I know. That if you study the Bible and you take and you apply what you learn out of the Bible, you're going to grow in holiness and you're also going to avoid a lot of pitfalls in this world. You see, the Bible tells us to stay away from certain things, not because 
God doesn't want us to have any fun because he knows the hurt that comes along with it. God tells us, the scripture tells us to keep away from things. You know, when the Bible speaks out about certain things, uh, it's not because God's not up with the times. It's not because he's not cool or he's not hip or he didn't realize what was going to take place in the year 2016. It was because he looks farther ahead and he sees the hurt that it's going to bring. The things that the Bible says no to, we are best, best served by saying, yes, Lord, you're right. You're the creator, I'm the creation. Instead of fighting against the scriptures, saying, no, no, I can do it my way. I don't need this. I, it, it, you're just out of date, God. Not true. The Bible's not out of date. It's not out of time. But why? Why do we need these things? Look what it says. The men of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Your Bible, if you're reading the King James, might say perfect and furnished instead of complete and equipped. Complete. It means capable, proficient, qualified. So that you'll be complete. The Bible will make you qualified to do what God's called you to do, studying it. The Bible will complete you. It'll make you proficient at living a life pleasing to God. The Bible will make you uh, capable of doing the things that God's called you to do. It'll, it won't make you incomplete. Let me ask you this. Why do we worship? Because the Bible tells us to. Why do we pray? Because the Bible tells us to. Why do we serve others? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Why do we think of others? That's what we're told to do. Why do we evangelize? Why do we do all of the things that we do as Christians? Hopefully we're doing them because we've been told by the Bible. We've seen it in the Bible. This is what I'm supposed to do. So that we'll be complete, capable, proficient. But also notice what it says, so that we would be equipped. Equipped. To make adequate. To have what you need. How many times have you thought, well, I'm just not equipped to do ministry? I'm not equipped. I feel unequipped for this life. The next time that you hear somebody say that, just ask them, are you reading the Bible? Because we're told it's going to equip us. Paul, Paul just told you, if you feel unequipped for what God has called you to do, read the scriptures and it will equip you. Think about that for a second. Can you imagine sending a soldier unequipped into battle? What would it look like? No, no weapon, no body armor, no helmet. No, no, not just go on, go ahead, go protect and go defend, go fight. Wait a minute, I'm not equipped. Well, yeah, you got to get the stuff that equips you, Right? That's the scriptures. As the Christian life, the scriptures are what equip us to do what we do. It's, it's, it's what it, it, think about it this way. I, thought I, I get funny pictures when I'm thinking ahead of messages. And I thought about a runner, like running a race in a scuba outfit. Think about that for a second. I'm going to run a race, but I'm going to put on my wetsuit. I'm going to put on my tank and my mask and my flippers. How far would I get? I'd look pretty ridiculous, wouldn't I, on the starting line? Why? I'm not equipped to do that. I have, the wrong, I have the wrong equipment. What if I have my running shoes and my shorts and I've trained and I'm ready to go? Then how, I would serve myself much better, wouldn't I? It's the same thing in Christianity. Are you equipped to walk and to follow with the Lord? Are you equipping yourself? Are you ready for those things? We get built up in the scriptures. That's where we find what we need. That's where we get it. In other words, the word of God furnishes and equips a believer so that he can live a life that pleases God and do the work that God wants you to do. The better we know the word, the better we're able to live and work for the Lord. You know, you know that? The better you know it, the less you'll ever be. Uh, uh, some, somebody will come to you and say, well, that's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. Let me show you. Let me show you where it says that. Let me talk to you about what's in the word. The more you'll be able to give counsel. Do you know how much counsel I give is just simply Bible verses that I don't give a, I don't give a chapter and a verse for? 
A lot of times when I'm talking to people and they ask me, what do you think? I'll, I'll quote a Bible verse. I won't tell them where it is. I won't tell it where it came from. I'll just, I'll just use the concept that the Bible taught, that the Bible teaches. It's real simple that way. But here's what I want you to see. So where do you stand when it comes to the scriptures? What, what role does it fill in your life? Do you see it as the word of God or do you see it as a history book? Do you see it as fully inspired by God or partly inspired by God? Do you see it as, or do you see it as a book that is profitable for teaching you what is right, showing you what is wrong, telling you how to fix it, and instructing you in righteousness, all so that you can be complete and equipped, that means have the tools necessary to accomplish what God has called you to do. But here's the cool thing. Put it all aside. In my life, when I put all the theological stuff aside, forget all the Council of Nicaea, forget all the canonization, all the questions, how do we, put it all aside. When I look back at my life, my life, speaking before you, my life, what has been the impact in my life? You know what's changed my life? The Word of God, the Bible. Not the pastor, not the worship, not the church, not the children's ministry, not the outreach ministry, not this, not that. It's been the Word of God that had the biggest effect in my life. It's, it's me coming across something in the scriptures, whether it be taught by the pastor or whether it be me reading on my own that says, wow, I need to change that in my life. And then I begin to change it. That's, so forget all the theological debates and look back at your own life and say, has it had an effect on you? Has it had, forget all the nonsense that we don't even, you know, we can't even argue sometimes. You see, because I believe so strongly in it, it's why that we as a church teach the Bible the way that we do, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. I just quoted a Bible verse to you, if you didn't know it. That's biblical. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. That's the way that we go, verse by verse. That's why I don't skip the parts that I don't want to talk about. Some weeks are great to teach on. I like teaching this stuff. It's good. But some weeks you're going, oh, really, i got to teach that? Can I just like skip that whole section? But I can't because I know that it's the full counsel of God. And when I stand before the Lord someday and he said, I gave you a church, and I gave you people to teach, and I brought people to listen, did you teach the full counsel of God? I'm going to have to answer yes or no. And if I've neglected to teach any part of this scripture at any point, I've just passed over it, then who's deciding what's relevant? Because no matter what I'm teaching, I might look at something and go, well, that, does, that, that doesn't, doesn't apply to anybody. It might be the very thing that somebody sitting here needs to hear, especially when you cover some of the Old Testament stuff. You go, wow, why do you, why do you study in the Old Testament? The Old Testament is so rich with information. First Samuel, Second Samuel, it's, it's incredible. You start, look, well, the tabernacle, yeah, that's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of heaven. It's all beautiful when you piece it all together. Now, after all, didn't Jesus say that his word, or didn't, Jesus didn't say it, but didn't, didn't, doesn't the Bible say that his word, God says his word will not return void? His word will not return void. It was in Isaiah 55, it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. My job, a pastor's job, is to teach the word of God, and only the word of God. Not political opinions, not funny jokes, not entertainment. My job is to teach you what God's word says, how to take it and apply it to your life. If I fail to do that, then I'm failing. Notice this. God promises that his word will not return void. But he never promises anything about the pastor's commentary on it, does he? He doesn't promise anything about the pastor's jokes or about the pastor's, you know, keen insight or the pastor's wisdom or the pastor's, you know, philosophical mind. 
He says, my word will not return void. My word will go forth and it will accomplish what I've asked it to do, what I've called it to do. This is why we never forsake a Bible study here. You say, right, will worship go long sometimes? Will it ever go like, you know, the whole service? No, because the word of God is the focus of our fellowship. It's the, it's the, we don't have a worship team. We, we don't have a lot to offer, but what we do have is what you will get every week here is you will be taught what God's word says. You will get a portion of scripture to take home with you. You will get it, you'll be able to chew on it, think about it, and think, what am I going to do with it? It's why we don't forsake it. I don't want to waste time talking about the election coming up in November. I don't need to talk about that. You got vote. Go, everybody be American. Go vote. You have a right to vote. But here's what I know. God's going to put in there whoever he wants to put in there, whoever's, whoever's going to accomplish his will. God's going to take care of that. I don't have to worry about that. My job here is not to give you my keen insight on something. My job here is to teach you what God's word says. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world outside of here. The 45 minutes or so that we gather to teach God's word, that's what I allot myself. I try to stay as close as possible to that 45-minute timeline, time, time frame because it's important. And I don't want to give that up to a political candidate. We're here to learn God's word. Notice what he says. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is all scripture? It's the Holy Bible. What weight, what bearing does this book have in your life? I would encourage you this week, if you've neglected it, if you leave it on the shelf all week, if you... I don't know, leave it in your car, wherever. I would encourage you this week to take it with you. Bring it to work. Bring it on. Maybe it's on a phone or an iPad or something like that. Bring it with you. Take it with you. And on your lunch break, in the mornings before you go, just read a verse or two. Pick a place to start. Book of John, nice place to start. Just read a couple of verses and see if God doesn't meet you right there in the word of God day after day. If you go there with the expectation to meet him, he will be faithful and meet you. Father, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your word. Lord, these two verses speak so much about what we really think of your word. Lord, I pray that each one of us here would realize how powerful your word is in changing lives. Lord, would we not get stuck in the useless arguments about how we got it or where it came from or who was right or who was wrong, but instead may we allow your word to go through us, to go through our lives, to go through our hearts, ministering to us, correcting us, instructing us, convicting us. Father, may we be people who take your word seriously. May it be the thing that matters most to us. Lord, we're in this world and there's lots of distractions from TVs to sports to families to kids to there's all kinds of distractions everywhere we look but may we not forsake our time in your word for you have said you have magnified your word above your name for you have magnified your word above your name your word will stand forever forever Lord Lord thank you for this time in Jesus name Amen